Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate this this is joe cole this is ruben off the cheek and you're listening to the london London blue podcast All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London Is Blue podcast. As always, your host, Brandon, and that's where it ends. Uh, (laughs) I've got Matt Law today for a special, but Matt, it's just you and I today, so a little difference uh, of show for everyone, but I'm looking forward to it nonetheless. Yeah, we're going to get even more time to talk, so uh, yeah, let's go, be good. For sure. So um, yeah, it turns out daylight savings thing is a ta- is a is a thing, and we missed up our schedule, so we're we're putting it together. So listeners out there, Nick and Dan didn't bail. Is more of like just a confusion with the world being on so many different clocks at one time. But uh, in this one, we want to talk about. Uh, a tale of two sides that we saw from Chelsea over the last week. Uh, we're talking about Chilwell finding his groove in the left wing back role, and he had some good quotes about that um, that Matt got to talk about. And then, obviously, um, you know, there's been some so or Roman Abramovich had another article out, so it'd be fun to get Matt's kind of opinion on Roman as an owner because he's been largely quiet. We don't get a lot of insight from him. Um, he lets Marina and and the rest of his executive kind of team over there do it. So it'd be interesting to hear. Uh, Matt's perspective on just uh, what it's like for Roman being the owner of Chelsea for so long. And then uh, we'll end with some listener questions as well. But uh, I expect um, a random story to intertwine its way in, uh, which I'm looking forward to. So uh, anyways, Matt, if we can reverse it a little bit, I know we're at the tail end of this week trying to get back to Atletico Madrid and then Sheffield United in the FA Cup. Chelsea advancing in both cup competitions, which is exciting for us as fans. But we saw a strong team against Atletico Madrid, and then a bit of a drab performance. Nine changes, to be fair, against Sheffield United. Um, but it's a bit of a seesaw performances in a, in a few short days. Yeah, look, I mean, it, it, I, I actually did think that the Sheffield United game could be a potential banana skin because after that high of the Atletico Madrid, after everything they'd put into it, we knew that Tuchel would make changes. I mean, it's very hard to predict Tuchel at the moment, but it was clear he was going to make a lot of changes. And I actually... If you'd have asked me on Friday last week, I'd have probably said it could it could go to extra time. This I honestly, I'm not just saying that in hindsight. I honestly thought it could be a, a difficult game. And look, in the first half, I thought, albeit they weren't having shots on on goal, Chelsea was super co- um, confident and comfortable. It was an easy game for them first half, and then second half, it reminded me a bit of that Southampton game actually when Lampard was manager when. Chelsea looked really comfortable and then the second half the opposition came for them and they really wobbled. And uh, yeah, Sheffield United were very unlucky. But look, I don't think it was anything to be hugely concerned about. You know, he made sort of nine changes. There was a mental fatigue. There was a physical fatigue. And let's face it, they're not going to cruise through. It's unrealistic. That I mean, it's pretty amazing that they're still unbeaten and they're certainly not going to cruise through every game. So... Very different performance, very different game, but they they got through it. As as Tuchel said at, at the end, everything was about reaching a quarterfinal and a semifinal last week. Obviously, you want the performances, and they very much got that against Atletico, but it didn't matter against Sheffield United that they they weren't at their best. They just had to get through that game, and, and they did, and there they are in the semifinals. Against Manchester City... So much for having easy draws in all cup competitions See, this season. This, I, I, yeah, I mean, 
I hate, I really, I, I look, I get sucked into it with my own club, but I hate second guessing these draws. I, I really felt on Friday worried for the fact that I saw a lot of Chelsea fans celebrating the, the Porto draw. And similarly, I find it amazing when you draw Man City that you also see fans saying, oh, that's it, we're out. I mean, you just don't, it's impossible to know. It's impossible to know the injuries by then. It's impossible to know the form by then. It's just, and Chelsea are such a strong team and any team in the Champions League quarterfinals have got to be a strong team. And any team in the FA Cup semifinals are going to be a strong team. I just think it's impossible to call these draws in terms of whether they're good, bad and indifferent. So just as I thought it was ridiculous to see people celebrating the Porto draw, which, you know, I've done it with Villa draws in the past and been badly caught out, to be honest with you. Um, I thought it was ridiculous for people to get doom and gloom about the Man City draw too. Yeah, yeah, the emotions getting involved there, uh, which is is far too soon. You know, but I think one thing that we have going for us, right, is that our success is not determined on how many goals we score in a match. The success right now is built off of the defense being so rock solid and, and making it really difficult for other teams to break us down. And then hopefully you can pick one off. Or maybe this is a team that likes to go to extra time and eventually penalties since we've had so many different penalty takers this season already. <laughs> a lot of practice. Um, but I think that's an advantage no matter what the draw is in these cup competitions. I mean, you had City, was it Leicester? Um, who else has ever, Everton got knocked out? Anyways, an F cup draw you're probably going to have someone that you're going to have to play. But it's like we are playing so well defensively right now that like we've seen it in Euros, we've seen it in World Cups. Stingy defenses can get you a long ways in these tournaments. And if you flip it round at the moment, both in the Champions League and the FA Cup, I think any other club doesn't want to play Chelsea at the moment because they've got this momentum behind them. They've got this confidence about them. They've got a bit of good fortune about them, and that's not being critical, but they have. And the wind is blowing in their favour. Now, the wind can change quickly, like we know in football. But if you're an opposition team, I think in either of those draws, in the Champions League, you're thinking, we don't want Bayern Munich, number one, and you're probably thinking, number two, we don't want Chelsea. In that semi-final draw, similar. If you're Man City, you don't want Chelsea. And if you're another team, you don't want Man City, and then you don't want Chelsea. I mean... Look, I don't think Leicester would have been a great draw for, for Chelsea, put it that way, the way Leicester play. So I think they've got every chance in that semi-final draw. Yeah, no, I, I, it's true. Like I said, the, the injuries and the form and obviously Man City going for the quadruple this season. <laughs> Their priorities might be distracted if they have a really, you know, uh, good draw in the Champions League or anything. So anyways, um, absolutely getting back to your point of it of Sheffield then being a potential banana peel for that I, I touched on it too I didn't know if the players were going to look at this as their only hope for success this season right like they're definitely getting relegated this is a chance to kind of make a name play for some pride kind of show some character you know they weren't going to rotate because they don't really have anything to rotate into um, yeah. but at the end of the day was it nine changes seven changes and still got the result in the end maybe it being a little more difficult than we wanted but I mean, no complaints. Yeah, yeah. And as you say, it was um, it was all or nothing for, for Sheffield United. And they'd got hammered 5-0 the, the game before. Very unlikely after getting hammered 5-0 that they're going to get hammered again. Very rarely happens in football. There's generally some, some reaction. As you say, nothing to save themselves for in the league. You've got an international break coming anyway. It was all... It, honestly, it was all set up for a potential banana skin and potential upset. So... The fact it didn't go into extra time or anything very strange happened and Chelsea slightly got away with it. But, you know, who cares, really? Yeah, no, no, no complaints here uh, from from this side. Um, as we look at these single elimination matches like the FA Cup, you know, Angola Conte has been so crucial lately. It's almost like he's finding his form towards the end of the season. It just reminds you that, like, when he is close to his best, I mean, it literally is having an extra player on the pitch. And I was watching some highlights of the Conte era with N'Golo Conte in the middle. I mean, he carries an entire midfield in this team, and it's amazing. Are there any other names like N'Golo Conte that are really going to be these difference makers for Chelsea in the one-offs? Well, just, just, to, just to give my opinion on Conte, I mean, I, I was astonished in that Atletico Madrid game. I, I Just to give some background of, of sometimes how we work, um, 
I wasn't doing the traditional match report in that game. I was doing what we call the colour piece, where you can pick a theme or a topic or a player and write about that instead of match report. It's actually quite a fun way to write about a game, probably a bit more fun than writing just a normal match report. And I decided before the game I was probably going to look at Kante, because if you remember I came on this show and said I was astonished he was left out of the first game, even though, you know, it proved to work. But I just thought Kante being left out a big game was a huge thing. So obviously coming back in for this one, I thought he was an interesting subject. So look, I had to watch it on the TV. Um, I wasn't actually there because we had another reporter there who was doing the match report. But I was just astonished by him. It was... I mean, there was the performance against Barcelona for Chelsea, which sort of blew my mind at the time. But I think this performance against Atletico Madrid was was better. And then in those last seconds when he bombed up the pitch in the 94th minute to help create the space for Emerson to then then score the second goal, you just look at it and just like, it's insane. But it was everything. It was interceptions. It was tackling. He was popping off the ball nicely. He was in the right place at the right time. He was pressing high up the pitch. He was dropping low when he needed to. I mean, I, it was such a complete performance. It was ridiculous. Um, and, you know, if if Kante is in that kind of form, I do actually think that Chelsea have a chance against anybody because any team's going to find it difficult to break down Chelsea when, when Kante is like that. And they're going to have a problem in the middle of the park. So, you know... If Chelsea can keep him in anywhere near that kind of form for the rest of the season, it will be such a huge boost. But it just shows as well. I mean, look, it can't be any any coincidence that, you know, Leicester, he was playing in the two with Danny Drinkwater. I know we all laugh at Drinkwater now, but Drinkwater had an excellent season. Um, he was very comfortable in that position. Then under the Conte, first of all, he starts with Matic, then it's Fabregas. But again, it's the two. He's much more comfortable in a midfield two, in that central two, than a three-man midfield. He can do what Sari wanted him to do. He can do what Lampard wanted him to do, which is, you know, be a bit more progressive, play a little bit higher up the field, play within a three. He can do it, but I think in a two, he's the best of his type in the world. In a three, he's an excellent midfielder, but he's not one of the best in the world. I know. I You think of like Casemiro at Real Madrid being considered like the best holding mid in the world, and he can contribute goals. But the mobility and like the heat seeker ability of N'Golo Kante to read the play and break it up before it gets to your goal, I think that's what just makes him a different player. To your point, the 93rd minute, I think the Champions League just posted the clip of N'Golo Kante literally going from box to box, turbo jets on. He was cruising, made the overlap that created the space for, he made the overlap to the right, created the space for Palmieri on the left to to nail it home. That's different than, like you said, even a Nemanja Matic at his prime being a holding mid, you know, a deep-lying kind of holder. He obviously has no goal threat unfortunately but he still has a lot more kind of, i think in between that a lot of those holding mids don't cuz they he, i think he's the not, ball he's kind not of goals. holding mid he's right. he's not he is he is i would say he is a defensive midfielder but he can defend high up the pitch you know he will happily press high up the pitch and defend from high up the pitch or he will create situations high up the pitch I, so i think he is a defensive midfielder but he's not a holding midfielder yeah. and this is where i think that the misunderstanding with him can come in. And this is where his partner is so crucial to him and his partner playing well, and, and, and Kovacic did it for him, is that you've got to be aware that, that Kante will roam around the pitch. He will go high up the pitch. He will go to the left side of the pitch. He will go to the right side of the pitch. You'll find him back in your own penalty area. And th- that puts a responsibility on the other guy because if both of your midfielders are doing that, and getting caught at the pitch or whatever, it becomes a real problem. But if you've got one guy who's clever to it, who doesn't have to be a holder all the time, but who's clever to how Kante plays, then it really works incredibly well. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's he's had a lot of different partners in midfield this season. There's been a lot of rotation. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, I, I, I don't know who else is more important in the team. Obviously, a goal score would be massively important in a one kind of one match, you know, tournament football knockout. But he really seems like the number one key to success, um, you know, to to getting silverware this season. 
look, look, in my opinion, and I don't know whether I'll get stick for saying this, he's the world-class player in the Chelsea squad. I don't think there's another yeah. world-class player. I think there's, I think there are players in that Chelsea squad, plenty of them who can produce world-class performances or incredible performances. You know, Rudiger at the moment is performing incredibly well, to be fair to him. But Kante is a world-class player and he is the one world-class player in that team. I remember, you know, I did that interview with, with Conte and I remember after the Atletico Madrid game when, when um, Chelsea won in the Metropolitano with him and I remember us speaking to him after that in a private moment and his feeling then was that Chelsea had three world-class players and he, he had Courtois, Kante and Hazard and I think now they've got one world-class player. That's not to... Mm-hmm. That's not to sort of be detrimental towards the other players, but he he stands out. He stands out. He's and to do it on the champion at the Champions League level. At, at, you know, he's done it against Barcelona. He's done it in the Metropolitano in, in the Champions League. He's done it against Atletico Madrid. He can do it. He would be able to do it against Bayern Munich. He can do it against the world's best. Mm-hmm. He's shown that for France as well. I look. I don't think you're gonna get a lot of pushback or arguments on that. I think we all are excited at the potential in Chelsea's ranks, but hands down, he's our best player and the only world-class player. You, you bring me back to a, a memory of when a Bakayoko and Golokante chant was quickly um, <laughs> uh, created and then quickly discarded, unfortunately. Is that uh, another one of the many pairings of Angola that didn't work out? Um, hey, we're going to take a real quick break. When we get back, we're going to talk about the England camp. All right, Matt Law's got a bunch of a bunch of insight into that as the internationals are coming up, but we're specifically going to touch on Ben Chilwell uh, before we talk about Roman. So uh, thanks to sponsors for supporting the show. We'll be right back. All right, Matt, now that you've gotten the call up to uh, cover England as well, <laughs> uh, Ben Chilwell, he was the a focus on on fact that he's having to learn a wingback role, and it's been a bit of a challenge for him. Yeah, he spoke really well about it, actually. He's a very, very, very intelligent lad. Um, you know, lots of Chelsea players are, but he's very well-spoken. He's very intelligent, and he's a bit of a thinker. You can tell that. Um, and he spoke really well about the challenges of trying to convert and, and was honest enough to admit it doesn't come naturally to him. It's not what he would consider his, his best position. It's not what he would consider his natural position. So he's he's having to learn again. But what I thought was really interesting was that Southgate's also playing with a back three a lot. And I think he feels that the fact that Tuchel is, is, is playing with his back three and that he's having to really fight for his place and learn and train is actually going to benefit him a lot from England, even though rewind three or four months and he was actually nailed on for his Chelsea place. Um, but obviously he wasn't playing in a back three, so maybe that wouldn't have been so good for him for, for England. So he's clearly learning a lot. I, I'm still jury's out a little bit of of I think he'll get there don't get me wrong I think he's got some learning to do I know he he, he did okay against Sheffield United I didn't think he was superb um you know better going forwards than, than maybe going backwards in that that game and obviously the role is is he's got a little bit of learning to do with it but I, I do think it will come because he's clearly intelligent and he clearly I think the other thing that comes across with him is he wants to learn it he's very open to it there was no sense of He's annoyed at the fact that he's he's been knocked back a little bit by Alonso coming back, or no sense of annoyance that the manager maybe isn't quite Tuchel isn't quite sure about him yet for the the very big games. Absolutely no sense of frustration or annoyance, just a sense that he he really wants to learn and and do it. It's been left back. What a weird season it's <laughs> been for that roster. Uh, a we have three. All right, there two of them are internationals right? Italy and England. Then you throw in the mix of a managerial change. Well, you know, Alonso's frozen out for so many months under Frank, managerial change, first match in. I think Alonso played at left wing back, uh, you know, against Wolves. Now all of a sudden, Chilwell's not getting as many minutes. All of a sudden, Palmieri appears, but I would say Emerson seems to be getting the least bit of a look in that position. He's played left center back. He's played left winger. So I think if I'm chill, I'm going, okay, I can still read between here and think it's Alonzo and I, to be fair, Alonzo has proven himself, even the ability to get in the Spanish squad at left wing back. He's pretty decent at it. Let's see what I can learn. Yeah. And I I, look, I think, I still think long-term that that Chilwell will be Chelsea's 
either left wing back or left back. I, I do think the eye on the future is there for Chilwell to do it. But obviously, Tuchel came in needing results immediately, needing the bounce and and going to this system. Look, I'd have never predicted it before, but now it looks like the most obvious thing in the world to do to to bring back Alonso, who's so comfortable in it. But I'm sure Chilwell can learn a lot off, off Alonso because for all of uh, Alonso's frailties as a left back, he is an excellent left wing back in that system. Yeah, I think... We've talked about a little bit just saying the the potential and the long-term future is of Chilwell being here. I mean, I think Alonso's 30 now or, or approaching 30. So even in general, that's kind of, you know, when Chelsea are looking to to kind of tweak things up. But again, just the left back in general for Ben, it sounds like to have that mentality that he expressed to you. It's, I think it's probably great just to hear from the fans be like, hey, we think we saw that. We see the jokester side of him on social media. Yeah, yeah. But to hear the the kind of professionalism and dedication to craft is is super important. Um, speaking of the he England, spoke about just yeah. just to he also brought Reese into that conversation. He said that he and Reese have been talking about the fact that this whole thing with Tuchel at the moment should actually, in the long term, benefit with them in England. And again, Reese is someone who all of a sudden isn't sure of always playing at, at right wing back. You know, Callum's played there, and um, but again, it seems like. From what Ben was telling us about Reese, who's a much quieter lad, it's, it's, it's there's actually a lovely interview with him in my paper today in our, in our women's section um, with him and his sister. Saw that. Reese is quite hard to get under the skin of. He's quite a quiet, reserved lad. So Ben talking for him was probably a bit of an insight for us. And, and the fact that he brought Reese into the conversation, that those two have been sitting down together at training, talking about how this can help them with England. So Reese obviously from what we hear is relishing this challenge as well and feels it can benefit him. I love that. I absolutely love it. And and that's just a perfect segue into the England camp. Uh, a lot of Chelsea call-ups as we would expect, I'd say right now. Um, I'm not going to pretend to be a massive uh, follower of England, mainly, you know, the Chelsea players that go into camp, but I know that Gareth Southgate is, it seemed like he was still rotating his lineups and his formations, trying to settle on what he wants to do this summer for the Euros. Um, I, I guess, kind of what's your sense of the formation and the possibility of a lot of these Chelsea players having a prominent role in the team, or will they be more supporting cast members? Well, look, I think it's really interesting talking about Reese. Reese is now ahead of Alexander-Arnold in the, the England pecking order. Trent wasn't included in this squad at all. So Gareth Southgate sees, sees Reese ahead of Trent now, and I think there's every chance that Trent won't be in the, the, the squad for the Euros. And, wow. and I'm pretty certain Reese will. Gareth really likes Reese. Um, I imagine there's obviously a little bit of influence from Steve Holland in there as well, but they really like him. I could see Reese nailing down that position, whether in time for the Euros or whether Trippier sort of gets the Euros and then it becomes Reese's position. I, I don't know. But I certainly think long term and, and looking, you know, we're starting our World Cup qualifying tonight. So looking just 18 months or so down the line to the Qatar World Cup, which actually isn't that far away. Um, Weird year, calendar yeah, of football matches. <laughs> exactly. But I think Reese will definitely be the number one by then, if not before, that on the right side. Mason Mount, he was put up with Gareth to talk to the press yesterday. It's only usually senior players who do that. You know, we usually talk to Harry Kane. We normally talk to Jordan Henderson. We normally talk to John Stones, Harry Maguire. So that in itself tells you what they think of Mason Mount. Mason Mount was put up in the media, which A, says... We're not telling you the team, but this guy's starting. And B says, we trust this guy to speak to, you know, 20 national journalists. It's different from speaking to the guys they know from Chelsea all the time. You know, they know us a little bit and they, they feel a bit more comfortable with us and they know that we know a lot about them. If you go into an England press conference, you get all kinds of weird questions come at you. You get foreign press asking questions. You get English journalists who are based up in Manchester who have barely seen them play, you know, down here and, and stuff like that. So it's a very different environment and he dealt with it brilliantly. So he is embedded now in that squad and team. And look, I think he would definitely, definitely be a first choice pick ahead of people like Grealish, maybe even ahead of Foden. Mason's really nailed down a place in that England team now. And he can play, Mason jokes that he, he thought against Sheffield United, he played five different positions because someone said you played three different positions in that game. And he corrected them and said, I thought I played five different positions. Um, and he can play so many places within that midfield, whether it's in a in a deeper two, a deeper three, 
a forward, three, right, left, centre. So, to, so Mason can play so many different positions in that midfield and the advanced positions that he is such an asset for, for Gareth Southgate. So he will definitely be, be starting, you know, for the Euros. Um, Chilwell's got a battle with Shaw. That's going to be an interesting one because, you know, Shaw's come from nowhere again. To be fair to Shaw, he's had a great season. So I think that's 50-50. I think that's a, a real toss-up. But yeah, there's going to be a lot in there. And, you know, Callum, Callum can potentially be count himself a little unfortunate not to have made this squad with, with wingers out. He's playing in the under-21 tournament that started today. Um, I think that's probably a signpost he won't be at the Euros, even if he has a really good end to the season. Um, but yeah, look, the Chelsea influence on England these days is, is huge. I mean, it's been, it's, it's, we kind of go back and forth, right, as fans, even with Christian going to the U.S. men's national team camp. We're like, uh, do we do we really want him there? Do we do we really want more minutes? But with you know Christian, he's a leader in that team. You know, well, Christian's I think, an interesting one because you've got the Olympics, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. He could miss the start of next season. I think I saw quotes from Christian yesterday saying he wants to play in the Olympics, and it's easy. I don't know whether it's different out there for you guys in England. It's easy to see those quotes as a Chelsea fan or a fan of Premier League football and think. Why on earth does Christian Pulisic want to play in the Olympics? That's absolutely crazy. But that's really not appreciating. As you say, he is the poster boy for that United States team. You, you, you will know it far better than me. There's a massive pressure on him to go and lead that team. And if that team can be trying to win a medal at the Olympics, I don't know whether that's at all realistic. But he's got to be there. It's a bit like when Tottenham fans get annoyed about Hwing Min Son going off to South Korea. Again, he is the poster boy. He is mm-hmm. the marketing. He's everything for that. The national pride. I mean, no one pulls a headline like Christian in the United yeah. States. I mean, it's look, Weston's doing well. Sergeant Evans doing well. You know, there are other players that are doing well, but no one pulls a headline like Christian. The other thing is you talk about camaraderie and confidence boosting. And he, like, he's going to go into the men's national team camp confident, comfortable, and in a really good headspace, less pressure, having more fun, seeing, you know, his friends. Thankfully, they're in Europe. You think of Mason and Reese, right? They go into England camp. I mean, Mason has been posting so many photos. He loves the England camp. But again, he's with his mates. He's come up with, you know, at St. George's from a young age up until the full senior national team. I think we forget as fans sometimes that this is actually a really good thing for them. A, confidence, you're called up to the national team. Highest honors, you know, for a player in their country. Two, they're going to hang out with a bunch of other great players. It's almost like a mental break. They don't have the pressures of Chelsea. It's a change, a new voice, a new system, kind of a distraction. Uh, Because I think we forget how intense some of these Premier League seasons are when you have the same manager, same coaching staff, day in, day out. This is a big break for them to kind of refresh, recharge, even if they are playing some minutes, they just weigh differently. So I love, especially with having so many Chelsea guys in this squad, it's like a, it, it, it's, it's a really good thing is, is the way I look at it. Oh, 100%. 100%. I think they, they learn so much from it. They learn not just playing-wise, but responsibility-wise, talking to the media-wise, you know, if I relate it back to England and the club I support, you know, we've got Ollie Watkins this week. He's spending a week with Harry Kane. You know, what 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 could be better for a striker, you know, a young English striker than to spend a week with Harry Kane? What You know, it, all of this comes into it. It, it. It's brilliant for them. And it is very easy to get selfish about it with the clubs and overlook it. But it's hugely important for these lads and particularly the ones who um, are the poster boys for back home, you know. Ziyech with Morocco slightly, Pulisic. When there's a weight of expectation on the, the country on them, it, it, it's a massive thing for them. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think to wrap um, with the Christian thing about the Olympics, if I can probably help add context to non-American fans of Chelsea, the U.S. men's national team is so far off track. Not qualifying for the last World Cup, a lot of struggles in between them, um, some coaching changes. I think, A, he wants to play anytime he can, which is just his mentality. But two, 
if we have success at the Olympics, that then breeds on back getting us back on track. It breeds the hunger for more success. It to me, I can kind of see it being like we got to hit this this low level so we can hit these higher levels. But we have to create that that mentality of we will go into these tournaments, we will compete, we will be one of the best teams, we will have success. Um, but it's, it's a uh, great point that he hasn't got other tournaments as well. You know, this isn't a lad who's going to be going to the Euros this summer. Mm-hmm. It's not a lad who's going to you know. The, the World Cup, well, they get to the World Cup. Um, that obviously, you know, some of the, the the other nations have got African Nations Cup. The Olympics might be all that, that Christian Pulisic has with America in the next sort of three or four years or whatever. So again, massive, absolutely massive. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to transition over to Roman uh, Abramovich. Obviously, he's had some stuff come out in in the news. We don't want to get into allegations, but. He did put out what is this his second interview ever in the time he's been in charge of Chelsea. Yeah. So Matt, you being a reporter and and covering the club, over under on the number of uh, interview requests you've had shot down for Roman Abramovich twelve. No, I, you don't bother asking for one anymore. I wondered if at some point you just were like, all right, never mind. Um, no, uh, you leave it alone. What's it I've, been I've like? Tried- I've tried a couple of times and like everybody else, just got absolutely nowhere near. Look, I even jokingly, um, she's very active on Twitter. You'll probably know her, Rola Brentlin, mm-hmm. who works very closely for, for Roman. She obviously works for Chelsea, but she's very close with Roman and all of his um, anti-racism and anti-Semitism campaigns and everything. Very, very good operator she is. Um, and I do know her a little bit. And I did joke to her on the eve- on the morning after the interview came out, I did joke to her, does this mean we can all give you some Roman Abramovich interview requests now? She claimed to me it wasn't an interview. She claimed to me it was a conversation with a professor and that that's different from a standard interview. Ah. I think that was just a polite way of saying you're not going to get anywhere near Roman Abramovich personally. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Academia only. (laughs) Yeah. My only complaint about that interview, well, I've got two complaints. My less serious complaint is that None of us in England were told it was coming. So on Friday evening here, at about probably quarter to eight on at night on a Friday evening, I've got a curry on order coming in 10 minutes. I'm already three beers down. And I suddenly get a call from my office saying, have you seen that Roman Abramovich has just released an interview? Not great timing for a reporter, that, to be honest with you. Just um, when you thought it was safe. So I did also make clear to Roller that in future it'd be nice to get a little heads up that this might be coming so that maybe I, I leave the beers till later in the evening. Um, but no, I mean, look, it, it did come as a surprise. There was no warning of it for the English media. There was no, we didn't know it was happening. Um, a bit like last time. I can't remember. I've been trying to wrap my brains of who we spoke to last time, but it was another, it was a non-traditional newspaper stroke it wasn't a sports interview last time and this time he's gone for Forbes magazine which isn't isn't actually that big in England Forbes magazine um but he likes to when he does give an interview which is obviously extremely rare he obviously likes to to step out of the sort of sporting journalism as such and and try and give a slightly wider wider reaching interview and and this was that because he obviously wanted to talk about um, a lot to do with his anti-hate campaign and the anti-Semitism campaign. And he, he wanted to, it was more focused around that probably than, than the football, even though there was football in it. The timing of the interview is very, very interesting. You know, we've, we've gone through now, look, last summer with him spending 220 million made it clear that Roman's not going anywhere for a while. But we have gone through a period with Roman since probably they shelved the new stadium of a lot of speculation in terms of whether it, there, there could be a takeover. They've actually turned down a bid um, from at least one source, if not two sources, in the last two or three years. So it has been this time where there's been talk about whether Roman, the Roman era could be coming towards an end. So it feels like this is putting down a marker again. You know, I thought he did it with his spend personally in terms of putting down a marker. I didn't think he really needed to do any talking but the, the talking, I think, real really puts down a marker that if anyone had any doubts over his commitment or longevity going forward, certainly they don't need to now. Yeah, I I, I definitely agree with that. Um, this spending 
was was significant. I thought it was also very opportunistic, which I think we had talked about, you know, post or, or around the summer or whenever that transfer window was, um, just about how you know it, the dollar or pound uh, went a lot further last summer than in other summers. So it was it was a great opportunity for him to to seize that that moment. Um, you know, I guess for you, you know, as a journalist covering all things of the club, I guess what has it been like having Roman being so involved but like distant from a media perspective like do you feel like you have a good read on on roman's influence at the club or do you feel like there's a a lot of like haze in between him and him and chelsea it's a really good question that i i do feel like i have a good read on it i do feel like i've got a good handle on it i feel like i talk to the right people at the club and around roman to, to get a feeling for that and i look you can look back at my articles. I never jumped on the suppose the you know the the speculation of him potentially going. I never saw it from the people I was speaking to. Um, I do, but he's always liable to spring a surprise. Um, he will sign a player, for instance, from nowhere. Something will happen from nowhere. I still think one day I'll wake up and find that the new stadium plans are back on. One day, you know, we we won't know about it because he. He will suddenly just do something, you know. He, he he likes to take action very quickly. There's not a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of um and ah in. There's not a lot of briefing. He does things, and you find out about it generally when he does it. Um, the stadium thing for me was the only thing missing from the interview, and look, I'm I'm sure that's because he he feels he can't talk about it at the moment because it's it's tied up in the red tape around his visa slightly, but. It is the elephant in the room at the moment that hasn't gone away. You know, in I think in April, it will be um, a year since the planning permission ran out. It will be three years, I think, since he shelved the the build of the stadium in, in, in April. Um, and we've heard nothing. You know, we've heard nothing from the club. We've heard nothing from Roman. We've heard nothing from any official channels. We don't know whether... Um, there was speculation that because of COVID that the planning permission might get extended, but it wouldn't actually run out just yet. Nothing was made official. So the plans or the lack of plans or the thinking on what might happen with the new stadium and whether it will ever, ever see the light of day again, I think is the only elephant in the room that nobody knows anything about. And it would have been really nice to hear something about that, even if it was just a couple of little lines, but I can I can only assume whoever spoke to the guy who spoke to him did ask and that, that Roman doesn't want to or can't really comment on that at the moment. Um, and it's impossible to find out information on that, quite honestly. Absolutely impossible to find out. So when I say I feel like I've got a good handle on, on Roman and things, I have. But in terms of if you just want one little piece of information that Roman doesn't want to give away, it's not like a football transfer or a you can't ring around a few agents or a few contacts and find about it any other way. It's a closed book. If, if Roman wants to keep it a secret, he keeps it a secret. Pretty, pretty fantastic. Uh, I think he's a bit of an outlier, uh, when it, when it comes to those probably owners meetings, right. Or if you look around the league, he, he does it his way. He's not following a, a play from someone else and it's carried him quite well. Uh, he talked about it, how he's up, just a passionate football fan. And that's what led to him buying Chelsea. He always loves to cite the trophy cabinet that he's, uh, or the additions to the cabinet, um, because Chelsea has won a couple of things before he got there. Um, the big one, I thought that he went out of his way to make a point about Matt was the women's team, uh, almost calling out some of the other teams in England saying, why would you not a have a women's team and b invest in, in a women's team. And this is, this is perfect timing. Chelsea women beating Wolfsburg 2-1 away in the first leg of the Champions League. He has built a super team on the women's side. Or maybe I shouldn't say he, right? He has given the resources to the women's team to go build something very special over there. What, what I um, You're dead right. I mean, the, the investment at Chelsea and the women's team and, and how seriously they take it and the support they give Emma Hayes and the the esteem they hold Emma Hayes in. I mean, he made that clear. I mean, look, there are a lot of other clubs who who have very good women's teams as well, but 
it's to be applauded um, and they take it seriously. It's not lip service at all. Um, what I would like to say about Roman, um, and I've wanted to say this in a piece for a while, actually, but not really had a chance to, is I don't think he gets the credit for being an innovator. I think he's been an innovator in English football. And, and what I mean by that is you go back to the year he brought Michael Emanalo in. You know, that Chelsea had a very successful setup going at the time. They had Carlo Ancelotti as manager. They had Ray Wilkins, God bless his soul, working with Ancelotti. They had a host of senior players. Everything was going well. There was no need to necessarily do anything different. than you could keep into in a very traditionally run football club in that, in that you have a manager, you have people connected to the club. He brought Emanalo kind of from nowhere. Um, along, obviously, I think he'd been introduced to Avram Grant. And he got a lot of criticism at the time for him planting Emanalo straight in that squad, making it very clear he was a very important voice from, from day one, eventually making him director of football. Not only that, Emanalo obviously being a black guy, very few positions of responsibility going, going to, to, to black people still in, in English football. And he saw through that. He saw in Michael someone who could take the traditionally run football club and take it forward and improve the processes and improve the way it ran things. Now move on to Marina Granovskaya. Roman had seen the way English football was run and thought it was far too stuck in stuffy old men protecting their positions and everyone has to do things a certain way. You know, that they can act like this here, they can act like that. They're a bit of an old boys club. Marina, who had no football experience whatsoever and who I know for sure didn't have much interest in football whatsoever to start with, but he he rated us so highly as a businesswoman and as a negotiator that, again, he implanted her straight at the top of the company. Again, a female. Um, not many females working in English football. Someone with no football background whatsoever and put her in charge of things. And, you know, people tried to take the mickey to start with. You know, agents would go in, think, or rival directors of football. They thought they were going to have an easy time with Marina, and they completely misjudged her. And he knew, again, that she could push the boundaries and create new ways of doing things for Chelsea in what had become, in football, a stale environment. So those two things, massively innovative, massively innovative, in my opinion, I don't think he gets the credit for it. And the other thing is what I've just touched on. In terms of equal employment, and when we talk about companies and football clubs and football needing to get ahead of the times and get themselves up to date on racism, sexism, anti-Semitism, at Chelsea, you couldn't have had a more diverse working environment under Roman. You know, you've got a lot of board members who are Jewish, obviously, including Roman. You had Michael Emanalo, a black guy at the top of the company, the director of football. You had people like Eddie Newton, yeah. big coaching opportunities. And then you've got Marina, a woman in football, given ultimate responsibility. And, and you know, like I say, having guys at other clubs trying to take advantage of her and absolutely not being able to do so. Massively equal opportunities employer. I don't think he gets the credit for that either. And I don't think it gets recognised properly. And now he's he's got all the campaigns around it, which maybe puts a bit more of a spotlight on it. But, but he's actually been doing this for years in the way he's run that football club. And it's not always sometimes pleasant because when he, he brings these things in, it often means other people lose their jobs, wave of change, which can feel unsettling. And, you know, a bit like with the managers, again, whether you like it or don't like it, he doesn't value the keeping managers in charge for the sake of it. If he, if someone's not performing, it's let's go again, let's go again, let's go again. And he's employed every type of manager you can think of. He's now, you know, Lampard was the last one sort of in that he, he finally went for the sort of English ex-player. But he's gone through the range of different managers, the guys who have won everything, the newer, fresher guys. He's constantly trying to innovate and constantly trying to change. And, that's what I love about Roman Abramovich. You know, that's where I really rate him highly and, and just think it's great because so much of English football has been steeped in tradition and stuffy old men and nonsense rules that, you know, people made up to protect themselves. 
And a lot of that he's just ripped up and, and to the, the good of not just Chelsea, but to the good of the game, because you see more women involved in top positions at Chelsea. You know, the fact that Chelsea has Marina Granovskaya definitely means that other women can can get big jobs at football clubs. The fact Michael Emanalo was director of football definitely opens it up to other races and, and things like that. The fact they had Eddie Newton in coaching, coaching high up and, and things like that. All of this encourages it. It's not just good for it's good for football. Wow, that's uh, I I love that opinion. I love that perspective. Um, again, like you're you're able to take over you know 15 years worth of things you've noticed and, and connect them together. You, you just like spurred so many thoughts in my head again about Roman. So I think that's I hope you get the time to elaborate on that because if if you can riff just that uh, with a little <laughs> bit of of, of note taking, I'm sure you could put together something quite quite fantastic. You know, we we as fans just appreciate the feel good moments, right? Just even just the trophies uh, during the pandemic, we felt like doing the right thing, helping on the social causes, the social justice, and the the inequality and the things like that. We've loved. Roman using the club as his mouthpiece because he doesn't like the spotlight, but having the club make the statements, make the club, you know, going after things. And, and we have to remember, like, Reese James deleted Instagram because of all the, the racial hate he'd been receiving on that platform. Roman personally sent letters to all of the players saying, we got this. We're not going to let this go. And even just those things are what's are so great. And now you bring in kind of like the corporate hierarchy and the structure of the club into it to round that perspective out. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of hyped up right now, man. That was great. I think, look, I, I think he's been, lots of people have lots of different opinions on, on Roman Abramovich. Um, as a football owner, and that's all I want to talk about. I'm a football reporter, all I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. in. In my time covering top level football, I think he's been the best football owner. There's been. I don't think you can argue with that. When you when you see the transformation of the club, when you see the commitment, when you see the investment, when you see what he's doing off the pitch, I, I don't think you can argue with it. You can argue with other things you might want to argue about, which again, like I said, is not, nothing to do with me. Football owner is the best around. Uh, yeah, there was a Roman out Twitter hashtag for about three seconds. <laughs> on social media when Frank got the boot. Um, that was very reactionary. I don't think we've seen that get any legs as well. So um, we're, we're good. Honestly, I, I'm at, on, on that note, I kind of want to wrap and, and just keep keep the focus there. There's a, a lot of good stuff, but I, I do want to open it up. Is there anything that, that you want to plug or any kind of upcoming pieces that we should be on the look for? Obviously, we always plug the newsletter, highly encourage that. Maybe a Hey, maybe you missed it. The paywall came down for a little bit. You're plugging some <laughs> articles. So at, at a minimum, follow Matt in case that happens again. No, look, I, I just think it's going to be when, when we come back from this international break, what a run in now. Mm -hmm. What a run in. Because look, that top four race is still open. That's, that's not a closed race yet. The, the last week with the Champions League and the FA Cup, it's obviously taken a little bit of focus off that, that, that top four race. But you know, People weren't saying this, and it might only last for five minutes, but Tottenham, at least for five minutes, are back in that race. They're only, they're only three points behind. Liverpool, I'm, I'm still convinced at some point Liverpool are going to put a run together. I think Chelsea will finish in that top four, but I'd see an exciting race developing. And then you've got the Champions League quarterfinal, which we haven't had with Chelsea for seven years. It's a long time to have not had that. So that, that just feels like a hugely exciting thing coming up to build up to. And then on top of that, an FA Cup semi-final against Manchester City, where there are going to be some fans as well. There's going to be some fans in for that FA Cup semi-final. Um, I don't know whether it will just be local residents, but there will be fans inside Wembley for that semi-final. Hugely exciting. I think it's a... Look, it's, it's still on a bit of a knife edge for Chelsea because clearly, you know, we don't want it to go wrong. Things could go wrong. But it's a hugely exciting time for the run into the season. And it feels incredible to say, but they could end up with two trophies, which would just be insane given the way the season's gone sort of up and down and round and back. And But I, I think I think after this international break, though, it's going to be such a fun couple of months. Yeah, uh, it's a bit of a tease. Uh, could you imagine 
this would be Chelsea winning the Champions League. It's classic Chelsea. Like when you least expect it, chop and change halfway through the season, hit reset. At least we're not down 3-1 to Napoli in the first leg. So we've got that going for us. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. For sure. And look, I'll be very interested to see... um, how Kai and, and, and Timo come back from, from the international break. So I, I look, I know Timo's still struggling in front of goal, but I've been impressed with both of those guys in the last few weeks generally. Um, and again, going away to Germany. Remember their last German experience was pretty hideous. They they had that thrashing and I, I felt that got certainly to Timo. Um, so hopefully those two guys can have a more positive German experience this this time that that brings them back and actually helps that that, that momentum that they've been part of with Chelsea and maybe look we talk about the 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 importance of international football imagine if Timo can score for Germany during this international break that could be huge for him come come the running and I I still believe that Timo will come good for Chelsea I still see enough that I think Timo will be a, a good player for Chelsea yeah I mean odds right even if you're just taking the odds of whether or not he can he can do it or not that he's got the history to prove that at some point the law of averages will kick in for him so again didn't even talk about Timo in the national camp maybe that'll be a great moment for him and Kai Havertz to to be around some of their their fellow Germans be in a camp kind of isolated again mental change of pace and, and come back so that would be exciting I'd appreciate that all right, Matt, thank you so much for the time today. Appreciate it. Uh, I'm I'm still excited about the Roman stuff. Uh, I've, I've got some digging in to do. I think that's going to be fun for a lot of the, the fans to get another perspective. Again, you are not a Chelsea fan, right? You have no emotional right. dog in the fight. So it's great to to get that perspective. In, I'm in, also not a guy who's, you know, I can't be accused of I'm saying this because Roman Abramovich gives me interviews or information because he doesn't <laughs> exactly. give any of us interviews or information. Yeah, this, exa- this, this, uh, this opinion is certainly not out of self-interest. You can't be <laughs> accused <laughs> of being a club mouthpiece. That is for sure. Roman is tight-lipped on that. So, hey, thanks again, Matt. Like I said, go check him out on social. The newsletter is where I would highly recommend you start uh, on reading Matt's content if you're not able to pay uh, for the articles, but well worth it if you can. So, Thank you, everybody. Uh, Go tell Matt thanks on social media. Matt, we appreciate you. Enjoy the international break. Hope it goes well for your squad in England. Um, We'll be back with more content, Chelsea fans, during the international break. Don't worry, you've got a lot lined up uh, for that one. So until next time, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. 